I want to join others that have welcomed you and say, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest of ours, uh, thanks for joining with us online or, or in the room. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors here serving alongside our lead pastor, uh, Rob Sweet. And uh, for those who, who don't know, and again, if this is for guests, you know, we're one church with two locations. So Rob is teaching at Brentwood this morning and we, we go back and forth and I'll be back at Brentwood uh, it's also a picture of what we believe pretty deeply about um, h- how we do church, and that would simply be a plurality in the pulpit. Yet we have always, from the beginnings of, of fellowship, had a plurality in the pulpit such that there's not one voice that speaks, there's not one personality that, that you're attracted to or repelled from, whatever the case may be, but there's a team that teaches, and, and the attention would then be focused here on this word and, and, and not on the person. So a little background for that. Some of you may remember 1997, the movie Contact. It's, it, it was that Jodie Foster movie. Uh, she is, uh, is raised in a home where she gets this love and fascination with, um, with space and what's beyond. Um, astronomer Ellie Arroway, she grew up and got that from her father. And so the movie is really her story of, of listening uh, to space for a word from the great beyond, you know, some extraterrestrial intelligence that would communicate with us. The beginning of the movie, she's working in a, um, it's, this is the government name for this thing. It's called the Very Large Array. And it's an array of antennas. And I love that name. Let's call it a Very Large Array because it's 27 antenna, these huge antenna. And they they can move synchronously and they move in such a way that, that they can position those, those antenna that it would be as if it was one antenna 20 miles wide, just aimed at space to gather and connect every microscopic sound wave or electron that might pulse from some intelligent being in the beyond. Most of the time, she listened to silence. At the early in the movie, she's sitting on the hood of her car, and and I watched this scene. Jodie Foster is the actress. I think she's a wonderful actress, and she's got these headphones on, and her eyes are closed, and she's just listening. And there's this giant antenna behind her that's just like, you know, it's just shooting into the sky. And as she sits there, she begins to hear something very faintly at first. And to me, it sounds like a dishwasher. You know, that sounds like it's just kind of a. And, 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 and what happens is the camera goes in on her eyes and her eyes open. And it's just one of those moments that uh, someone like that can produce. It's like her eyes said everything. It, everything she'd ever dreamed was happening and she's hearing these signals. Of course, the movie takes off and it's science fiction. Uh, you know, her life changes dramatically. The world goes through all kinds of things. Um, I say that to say, we're beginning a six-week series. We're gonna take six Psalms. And we kick off this first Psalm that has everything to do with contact, with hearing from beyond, so to speak. But not hearing like for intelligent life or extraterrestrials, but honestly for us, it's hearing from God. It's hearing from the one who created all things, who sustains all things, 
one who holds all things together, all things visible and invisible. And I said earlier that, you know, hearing that sound changed her world. Listen, if we hear what David hears, uh, it, 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 it makes her change in her world pale in comparison to what the change God works in our own. And honestly, not just in us, but through us in this world. If you're not there already, I want you to go to Psalm 19. This will be the first Psalm we pick up over these next six weeks. Psalm 19, let me say the book of Psalms, it's the longest book in the Bible. It's made up of 150 poems. Uh, we can more literally call them lyrics because they are the songs that Israel that, that were written, Israel wrote for their tabernacle worship. And these are the songs that they continue to sing today. And we even sing. When you came in this morning, and you may have missed this because you know, it's not there every week, but we had a book table out there and we wanted to invite every family to, to pick up one of these books. It's called Morning, Noon, and Night. Uh, one per family. It, it, it's a book, it's spiritual exercises for praying the Psalms. Now it's written by our very own Rob Sweet. Rob's one of our executive pastors. And this is actually the second book that Rob has written related to devotions and spiritual direction. And we, we wanted to use this book and wanna put this book in your hands, you all, because what Rob has done is Rob has taken 31 Psalms and um, he's, he's formatted provided a format that in, enables us not just to be in the psalm, but then to, to, to bring the psalm into our daily life. And he's got some application questions that follow after each psalm. Now, each of the six psalms we're doing this summer, we took six right from this book. So you know this about our church and you know the way we teach the Bible is this. It's not meant to inform us, but transform us. And the word transforms us as we apply it, as we live out that which God invites us to trust him for. And so the application in this little mini series, we're call, I'll call it morning, noon, and night, i.e., being in the word of God, morning, noon, and night, being, having a conversation with God, not just a moment here, but an ongoing conversation with the Lord, morning, noon, and night. So when I get to our application, I'm gonna be turning to this booklet. And if you didn't get one, you can grab one as you step out uh, this morning. You know, why would we put this in your hands? Can I tell you, and I'm gonna say more about this when I get into the text, but... Um, it's to bridge these 30 minutes we spend when we teach, to bridge that into your week. Can, can I say this? Just to hear a message once a week from Rob or I or any other Bible teacher or whatever, that it's not enough to grow your soul. And that, that our hope would be for all of us that we, we develop a habit of devotional time in God's word, even beyond like Bible study. I'm talking about, relational communion time in God's word on a regular basis. And I think this book can help some of us kind of make that jump from Sunday mornings through the weeks. Um, the Psalm 19, it, the Psalms are kind of hard to teach at times because um, of their structure. Psalm 19 actually falls into pretty clear category. So I'm gonna show you these, and this is what I'm gonna walk through and talk us through. Psalm 19 goes like this, verses one through seven, it's, it's about God revealed in the sky. God revealed in the sky. Verses eight through 11, it's about God revealed in the scripture. And then the last three verses, 12 to 14, it's about God revealed in the saint. 
So, you know, the common thread there is God's being revealed. He's showing himself in the sky, in the scripture, and in the saints. So God's word to us today, let's walk through the text together. Follow along in your Bible, Psalm 19.1. God said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. It's like, there's no sound. Their voice though goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. David is describing in these first six verses what theologians call general revelation. So so we're gonna take a a bit of a step into some theology this morning, and it's really, really important. Theologians, when we speak of how God has shown himself, you know, read a theology book, take take a seminary class, and this is how they'll categorize it. There's 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 general revelation, and that, and under that category would be creation and and how creation speaks and what creation says about God. Before you and I ever saying indescribable, before you and I ever saying of uh, you know praising God this morning, creation has been praising God all night, and. When you leave church today and we go about our business, creation will be praising God from sunrise to sunset. It is a never ending proclamation of God's glory. Now, when we say God's glory, we're speaking of the word glory carries the idea of of weight. And so, so when it says it's proclaiming his glory, it's proclaiming his weight, not pounds, not weight, you know that, but his weight in terms of his, we'll start here, his importance, his eminence, his power, his omnipotence, his knowledge, his his holiness, his justice, all that he is, the weight of our God, that's his glory. And it's, it's showing forth. That's what the text is telling us. Now we're not capable of seeing that glory unfiltered. See, to, to, to see, if we receive God in the fullness of his glory, we would be no more. We, we, we can't survive it. We will see that glory one day when those who are in Christ see Christ face to face. But for now, God doesn't hide his glory per se. He actually reveals it. But he reveals it in such a way that we catch a glimpse of him and we're not consumed by it, but we're awed by it. This is gonna sound very simplistic, but I think it's the best way that we can get a handle on the text and even its application. If we wanna hear God speak, what David would say quite literally is look up. Really, like look up. Look up at the sky is what he's describing. Now there's a paradox. You look up at the sky and it's declaring the glory of God and proclaiming his handiwork but there's no noise. <laughs> so wait a minute, how, do I, how am I hearing God when there's no noise coming? The sky is a, it's a wordless proclamation of his glory. It's an, it's an, this is an oxymoron. It's an inaudible 
sound. I get that. You know, hey, that, that that's, it is an oxymoron. Now, the biggest noisemaker that David sees when he looks up at the sky, and this shouldn't shock us at all, and the text tells it, it's the sun. So when David looks up at the sky, in the daytime at least, okay, in the daytime, he looks up, and there's this big, bright ball of fire that crosses the sky. And David, as a shepherd, you'd think about this. He went through the night. The, the, the sun is just beginning to dawn on the horizon. And there comes that brilliant sun on the desert horizon in particular. And then it crosses the sky and it sets from beginning to end. And he says, it's like, uh, it's like the, um, the bridegroom going to get his bride. And so he puts this metaphor on it that for the original audience would be easily gettable because for them in a wedding, the bridegroom, you see on the day of the wedding, he would leave his home with a troop of his best buddies and they would tromp across the town. It's like a parade. It's like, think of the joy in the heart of the bridegroom on his way to get his bride to bring her back. That's how he sees the sun going. It's like the racer, the strong man, he would say, who, 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 who runs the race with joy. Think of the Eric Little quote, when I run, I feel God's joy. That's the picture David has of that sun as it moves across the sky. Every time he looked up, there was a message from God. Speaking of the sun, last week when I taught this at Brentwood, a good friend of mine, Ken Murdoch, who, who's there, Ken said, hey, I got, I listened to you this morning and it made me think of something my son sent me years ago. And I looked it up and, and I said, oh, I gotta use that at Franklin because it's fascinating to me. Just think about the sun. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the celestial object, most obvious, obviously during the day when David looked up. And Ken looked this up, he's an engineer. So he's, you know, he's into these numbers. He said, by fusion, the sun burns about 564 million tons of hydrogen per second. 564 million tons, this is our sun, million tons per second. In terms of mass, this creates approximately 4 million tons of energy per second. So 4 million tons of energy in, in a second. Of this amount, only 4.5 pounds per second of this energy heats the earth and sustains all life. Now, I, and it's kind of hard, I, I, I don't know how to get, a, get this in our heads other than to say it and to say, oh my goodness, of, all, of 4 million tons of energy, it only takes 4.5 pounds of the sun's energy to sunburn us, to make deserts, to create life. And sus- you know what I'm saying? It's like that, wait, we're just getting a, we're getting the most minuscule fraction. Yes, indeed. And let's note our sun is one of uncountless suns and it's not the biggest sun. This is what God put in the sky that crosses the path of the sky daily every time we look up. For David, the sky was a constant message day to day, night to night. It was limitless. It was gushing forth. The image for David would have been of a spring that's just just bubbling, bursting out. It's always going. And it was all encompassing. I love that statement. And nothing, nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, back to the oxymoron part. How does it that we 
how it's this inaudible, hap, the sky speaking, there's no voice. I want you to think about this. How many of you have looked at another human being and your heart skipped a beat? No words spoken, but in your heart, she's gorgeous or he's so handsome. How many of us have looked at a piece of art and been moved, like the art moved us. And I was talking to my wife about this and she said, I've never looked at art and it moved me. And I said, well, okay, some people, but, but I have. Um, how many of us, I thought about whenever I fly, I still do this, you know, I don't fly that much, but you know, you're flying, you look out the window and you see the curvature of the earth and you just go, who am I? You know, you just, it speaks to you, right? I'm gonna show you a picture here in a moment um, and I'm gonna let it speak to you. Um, it's not gonna audibly say anything. You know, when David looked into the sky, this is what's fascinating. When David looked into the sky, and think about the night sky that he looked at. And I can imagine he saw the Milky Way. And you know, if you've ever seen the Milky Way, that undid me the first time I saw the Milky Way at night in a dark enough place. It's like, what? There's that many stars up there? Uh, but he, he looked up and he saw the stars, saw the moon and he, and he saw the sun. But oh my gosh, could you imagine if he saw what we get to see today? Through, through the Hubble telescope and the newest one that has gone up. I'm gonna show you a picture of a galaxy. And I just think, I love the name of this one. And I love the look of it. This is called the Evil Eye Galaxy. It's a spiral galaxy at 17 million light years away. And you know, they have to measure distances in space by light years because the numbers are too huge. So you just have to basically say, what, how far does light travel in a year? And that'll be a unit. And then you put those together and you get this unbelievable amount of time, but 17 million light years away from Earth. Uh, interestingly, this galaxy was discovered in 1779. How about that? Somebody saw that thing. They didn't see it that clear, but they saw it. The width of that galaxy is 7,400 uh, 7, light years. So it's like 7,000, just the width of it, right? And I thought, well, that's huge until I went, wait, wait a minute, the Milky Way, our galaxy, which is not a very big galaxy, is 52,850 light years wide. You know, the, the, the numbers in space are just freakingly mind boggling. But I just want you to look at it. So we know that's up there, that's up there, okay? You do know that that's one galaxy among innumerable. I mean, I, there's not, I couldn't, there's a number I couldn't give you. It's just beyond number. So what does that say to you? A couple of you tell me, just yell it out. There's no right or wrong answer. You look at it, you see it. What does it say? What does it say? Eternal. Eternal. Why, why is that? So, so, so never... Vast, so vast you can't get to the end of it. Eternal. Magnificent. Magnificent. Small. small. Make us small? Who said that? Yeah, yeah. Someone else? God's intentional. Someone else said something? I missed it. It speaks. It's, it's saying something saying something about God. Now, on your way to your car, when I dismiss you in a little bit, or actually on the way to, your, on the way to the picnic, perhaps it would do some of us well to put down the phone and just look up. That's up there. 
just because I'm teaching the passage, I, you know, you catch yourself doing this. So I do actually catch myself sometimes stopping and going, Lloyd, just pause a moment and be awed by this blue sky that is above you and all that it contains. That's general revelation. Let's go to God revealed in scripture, verses eight through 11. The word continues. David sings and says, the precepts, or verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them, there is great reward. Theologians argue whether or not this is one Psalm or this is two Psalms that have been mashed because David goes from the sky and its glory to boom, like, wait, now we're talking about God, Torah or God's word. Uh, I, I most think not that it was one Psalm. We continue the theology lesson though, because this is probably clear as clear as anywhere in our Bibles where we understand and see a description, first of all, of general revelation. God has shown himself to creation through creation. And then what David speaks of here is what theologians call special revelation. When it speaks of special revelation, we note that it would be the inscriptured revelation of God. It would be these words of God that God inspired the writers and ensured that we have his authoritative word in these 66 books. Now that's only the Torah that he's speaking of here, but it would be the, the word of God. Are you with me? There's creation he's revealed himself. And then he does so specially, specifically in the scripture. Something really important, a distinction I wanna make here um, without going too far into a rabbit hole. Uh, and I held this and I didn't say it in general revelation because we need to see them both. General revelation, the, the reality that God has made creation and we see it, it's all around us, makes every human being accountable to God. General revelation makes every human being accountable to the God who made Creation. Listen to Romans chapter one. This is verses 17 and following. I'm doing this in the New Living Translation just for ease of understanding. Paul writes, this good news, this gospel of Christ tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Creation is God's apologetic 
Not just that he exists, but there's a measure of knowing that happens in creation, a knowingness, as Paul says here, of his eternal power and his divine nature. On, on the day of judgment, there will come a day when all will stand before God and give an account for themselves before God. No one can plead before God at that time and say, uh, well, I, I, I didn't know you because you, you didn't make yourself known. That there's no pleading that. Um, according to Paul, creation is enough to know there is a God and this, there's something about this God in terms of divine nature and eternality. Now here's where it, it can get tricky. General revelation is enough evidence for any and every human being who walk the planet to know there's a God and be accountable for that knowledge. But general revelation is not enough to save a person. Creation, there's not enough there to, to, to get the knowledge of your sinfulness, your fallenness. That, that requires the special revelation of God in which through the story of scripture, we find how all things began how all things fell apart, how God promised a redeemer to one day come, how we understand that man separated from God by sin and sin, the wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God and how God made a way for us not to be eternally separated from him by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who was the God man, fully God, fully man, who lived the perfect life no one could and then who died the death that we all deserved because he said he took our sin upon himself, bore the wrath of the father and separation from the father. So we would never have to. Jesus was dead three, buried and he was dead and he was in the grave three days and he rose because he had no sin of his own. It would not be just for a sinless person to succumb to death. No, Jesus had no sin, he rose again. And Jesus said, anyone who believes in me, who puts their trust in my life, my death, my resurrection, that I did it for you. Oh, your sins are forgiven. You're clothed in my righteousness. This is the good news, right? Well, you, don't, you, you won't get that good news just from creation. That requires the special revelation of God. And yet, no one can plead ignorance because God has communicated enough of himself through creation, through general revelation for every person to be accountable to know him in some measure. And that knowing what we would say, what we believe is that God would then see that the special revelation would come to them and they would understand the gospel and be able to put their faith in Christ. But, but, but you're accountable you're, every person is accountable because of creation, according to Paul. It's very sobering. So why is it that majority of people, most human beings who ever walk planet earth will look at creation and not come to faith in Christ and not acknowledge God? Why is that? Well, I didn't finish this passage, Romans 1. It ends with verse 21. Listen to what Paul says. Yes, they knew God but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. 
And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. That's a sobering reality and a sobering truth that creation is enough. It's enough to be accountable to God. Now, why is it that, uh, you know, Christians, why is it that, that we didn't look at creation and go, well, okay, let's look at other reasons. Why, why, is it that we, why is it that a Christian didn't do that? Are you smarter than people? No. It's all of grace. God in his grace opened your eyes to not just see creation, but to see there's, there's a God and, 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 and to then open your eyes to the special revelation that Jesus is God's son. He died on the cross for my sins. This is no work of your own. This is no, people are smarter, can figure that out. This is pure grace, the unmerited favor of our gracious God. Now, David, who himself was regenerate, had faith in God. So when David saw creation, he didn't worship the sun. He didn't worship the stars. No, he saw the God who created all things. And, and then his mind immediately went to the special revelation of God as it was revealed in Torah. So when it says the commandments or it says the, the, the law of the Lord, it's not talking about just the 10 commandments. He's speaking of the Torah. He's speaking of all the instruction of God. All that instruction is perfect, reviving the soul. That is, for him, it was Torah. It, it, it was whole and complete. And it was that which revived and transformed and took the, dead, the deadness of the heart and made it alive in God. I'm gonna hit these quickly because they're, they're really synonymous of the, 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 the full orb magnitude and beauty of the special revelation of God. It says the testimony of God, that is God, what God says about something, God's testimony about something is sure, it's reliable. You wanna know what you can trust? What did God say about that? That's reliable. Making wise the simple, the, the, the foolish, recognizing this is what God says about it. So I will choose and I will act in light of what God says about it. That moves me from foolishness to wisdom. It says the precepts of the Lord, the directions of the Lord are right. They conform to morality and justice. They rejoice the heart, gladness in the inner man. The commandment of the Lord, his orders are without fault. They're pure. Enlightening the eyes and bringing, bringing light to, again, to the inner person. We talk about the heart around here a lot, who we are in the heart, not just up here in the head regions per se, but it's the heart, the soul, and all that you are, thoughts, emotions, desire, desires, and choices. The fear of the Lord, and that would be when we recognize God of creation and we recognize special revelation, it actually produces a response of, of fear, i.e. reverence for this great God. And that fear is clean. There's no moral impurity enduring forever. The rules of God, his judgments on matters. When God makes a judgment on something, it's true and it's righteous altogether. Now, David, coming out of this, look, looking at the sky and, and then seeing in, this, in the scripture, this beauty and wonder, he's trying to go, how 
How precious is this word? And note what he says in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold. Hey, not just gold, but even much fine gold. And it's sweeter also than honey, not just honey, but the sweetness of the honeycomb. It's gold is the most valuable thing that he, they have in that day, right? It's, it's, it's the most precious amount. And he says, oh, the, the God's, God's word to us is more, it makes, it makes gold like dirt. It's just dirt, <laughs> you know, everything else. And he says, the sweetness, it's the sweetest taste that they could have in that day would have been the honey and the sweetest part, the honeycomb. And he says, oh my goodness, the word is sweeter even than honeycomb. The scriptures alone are true and trustworthy. The scriptures alone Transform your heart, guide you, direct your steps, bring you what your heart needs and longs for. Now, you know, we're a Bible church. Um, all, all churches teach the Bible. You know, there's nothing special about us per se. But, you know, for us, um, we, we've got to be careful. We don't make this an idol. <laughs> you know, it's, it's what this points to. And I'll talk about that in a few moments, what it's all pointing to. But, our hope, and, and again, this is why we pulled out the, the booklet for you, is that we as a community of faith, if, if Rob and I, the elders, if, you know, those of us who, who lead and serve could move you in one direction, it would be two parts to it, actually. It would be equipping you to pray and equipping you to be in this word on a regular basis, not hey, I'm gonna go hear a sermon this weekend. Not that, but no, I'm gonna hear from God in my time with God on a regular basis. God revealed in the sky, God revealed in the scripture. And then it ends with God revealed in the saint. Here's what I mean by that. Look at verse 12. David then turns, it's interesting. He's at the sky, the scripture, and then it's like he goes inward. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Note, just note the repetition of the thought in this verse, in particular, verse uh, 12 and 13. Errors, Faults, sins, transgressions. So note how the song has moved from the glory of God in the sky to the value and treasure of God in the scripture to I'm a mess. Oh my gosh, I, my sin to keep me from, you know, it, it, he goes inward and he sees the darkness of his own heart. And it makes sense when we pause to think about it. Lisa and I are doing some renovating at, at home, you know, trying to update some things. Our home's, I think, 45 years old and uh, we've not updated anything. And so um, we, we're trying to update parts of some bathrooms. And I get so tickled about this because lo and behold, y'all knew this, I didn't. I didn't realize that people over the last 20 years have grown apparently six inches because the counters in bathrooms are not supposed to be where ours are, which our daughters let us know when they come home. They go, man, I can just sit on the counter. You can't, that's not good, you know? You gotta get your counters up. So we get the counters up, we take the mirrors out, we, we, we put a new sink in. So we got the new sink in, which was great, especially in the master bedroom, but we didn't have the mirror. So I went to one of my girl's closets and... Um, 
Uh, those of you who don't know, we've got a 23-year-old, 21-year-old girl and then an older son, but the girls are, are out you know, of the home pretty much. And so went and grabbed a makeup mirror and set it in there, you know, so I could use, you know, brush your teeth. I mean, what, you know, take your contacts, whatever you need to do. And um, you know how those work. It's, you know, this, this mirror sits there. It's got that fluorescent light around it. So number one, it's putting, it's putting like surgical lights on you, like, like they, you can see it all. And then it's got the magic mirror that makes everything look huge. So you look in that mirror and your eyeballs like this, you know? And like, for me, it's like, oh my gosh, I got bushes growing out of my nose. My wife's always telling me, cut your nose hairs. You know, it's like, golly, I didn't see that flaw, you know? And it's just, ugh. And so think about the word of God in this way, that yes, it's precious and valuable. You know what's the most precious thing to David? His relationship with God. That's the most precious thing to David. And there is no relationship with God if there's sin in the camp, so to speak, if there's sin in my heart. You know, that's why we trust Christ who pays for all of our sins. And so when our, when our fellowship with God is broken through sin, we need to know that sin so we can confess it. We can bring it before God and restore that fellowship. The relationship's always there if we're in Christ. And so when we look at the word, what happens? It only shows us what's already there but we're not paying attention to. We're not really looking at closely until the word begins to show us, you guys. Oh my goodness. My motive when I did that was terrible. Presumption, where I'm presuming, you know, we're just glossing over things. No, the word won't do that. It'll show us the darkness of our heart. Is that a bad thing? No, it's a grace thing that we might confess our sin and pray like David prays. And then know God as David knows him. Oh Lord, oh, you're my rock and my redeemer. And this is where the song lands. God revealed in the sky, God revealed in the scripture leads to God revealed in the saint. Very quickly, we will move to our morning, noon and night. If you've got a booklet, I'm gonna have you grab that. Um, go to page 40. And I'm actually gonna put this on the screen so you've got it. Page 40, Rob's done a great job with these. And, and this is where I'm gonna land. I'm gonna actually invite you to do this exercise. So this is not an application that's like, hey, let's do this this afternoon or let's do this. No, I'm gonna invite you to do it now if you would, please. And here's the exercise. I want you to look at question um, number two under before you pray. And Rob asked the question, how do you experience God through creation? What beauty are you drawn to? How might that declare God's glory or remind you of God? So I, I, I want, this is what we're gonna do right now and I'm gonna give you a moment to do it. Just pause, invite the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind creation. And what in creation, for you, we're all different, speaks to you of God, his glory, his handiwork. Take, everyone just take a moment and pause and do that now.
Let me ask a few brave souls if you would be willing to just say it out where I can hear it. Like for you, what is it when you see in creation? What's, what what's, stirs God's glory in you when you see it? Again, there's no right or wrong answer here, but some, a few of you tell me. Okay, so, so driving to church this morning, a deer jumped out in front of y'all and just reminded of, of God's creativity and creation and his beauty, just in a deer jumping over the road. It's kind of like, and when the deer, when you hit the deer, then it's not so glorious, I'm with you, that's okay. Yeah, you, you see it in, in, in creation, in, in nature in that way. Who else, what do you see in creation that, sunsets, why? Yeah, all the sunsets, all the vibrant colors. Everyone's different, isn't it? You think it's it's not the same. What anyone else? The ocean. ocean. Why the ocean? Massive. Massive. The ocean has made it in all four messages as I've done this. Oh, we could go on. You know, there was a a lady at at Brentwood. She said, oh, and and she she actually shared this, but she said, um, cicadas. And I'm like, what? She goes, what? And she takes photographs and she has a photograph of a cicada super close up. It's like a nature show or something. And and so afterwards she says, you gotta see this. And I go, I don't wanna see it. I think they're ugly, you know, whatever. But no, no, you gotta look at this. She blew it up. You gotta see how the scales overlap. You know, and you know, you stand back. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, no part of creation that's not marked by God's creativity and his beauty. Wow. 